Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 470 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, interview Jaus van Dongen of Galaxy Grove and ask them about the design and development of their train-based puzzle game, Station to Station. This is a game that caught my eye when I was browsing a certain social networking platform, which I no longer use. Most people don't use it anymore. But at the time I was, back in October of this year, the time of recording and releasing this episode. I'm not sure when you're listening to it now. Sometime in the far future, for all I know. And Station to Station is a voxel-based puzzle game uh, where you are moving, well, actually, no, linking certain sites across a landscape which is presented in this exquisite, exquisite graphical style, which is what really caught my eye. It's like, wow, this looks incredible. Animations and the sound effects are just wonderful stuff. And interestingly enough, that was a thing that was a purposeful thing to do. They could have made it a simple 2D sort of abstract sort of image. It would have worked functionally perfectly well, but it wouldn't have looked very appealing. It wouldn't have caught people's eye. And this is something we delve into in this episode. Then the music is by Paul Aubrey, which you can listen to beginning of the show in the middle and the end those of you know that uh, the music from the game is sprinkled throughout the episode and you can buy the soundtrack from steam a link to which is included in the show notes so without further ado let's listen to me for the relatively recent past talk to Joost about the design and development of station to station hello Joost hi hello there how are you doing I'm well can you tell us who you are and what you do uh, yeah, I'm Joost van Dongen. I'm a creator of games and uh, and other things. And uh, uh, yeah, I run a game studio called Galaxy Grove. And uh, we've just made a game called Station to Station. Uh, before 
I founded Galaxy Grove. I was one of the founders of Ronimo Games. Uh, you might know our games, uh, Awesome Knots, What's the Soldiers, Blightbound, The Blob. Uh, so I've been around for quite a while. And uh, in my spare time, I'm also a composer. I've made a cello album. I've done some cello performances as well. And um, uh, yeah, my background is mostly as technical director and as a creative person in general. And at the moment at the company, I'm mostly creative director and CEO. Next question. How did you make your start making video games? Uh, well, uh, it all began with Lego. <laughs> as a kid, I was always playing with Legos, uh, as a lot of kids are, I imagine. And then when I was 12 years old, uh, I somehow got a hold of a copy of 3D Studio Max, uh, 3D Studio Max 2, so that was somewhere in like 1997 or something like that. And uh, I started randomly clicking things, uh, seeing what happened. So I kind of started uh, started with 3D when I was 12 years old. And uh, I kept doing that for years. And at some point, I also joined some modern groups. Uh, nothing ever came out of that, but I did try to make games at that point. And then uh, when I was uh, 18 years old, I started studying game development at the Utrecht School of the Arts. And then a year later... Uh, well, the other way around. Anyway, I started. Uh, I studied game development at both Utrecht School of the Art and Utrecht University, and that's where I uh, learned to really make stuff um, and go beyond joining modding teams that never make anything. Uh, and uh, when I graduated, uh, I founded Ronimo Games together with six classmates, so really as a group of friends. Uh, so that was also my entry into uh, professional game development. Wow, you're right. Lego's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah definitely <laughs> I, I can certainly vouch for that i can definitely relate for that, that as well crikey right as a creator yes um what are your biggest influences do you believe well i'd say for me the most important thing is that i want to make things that are unique and that stand out i'm not interested in making things that are very similar to what other people are making um uh, you can see that also some of the solo work I've made, like Robo Maestro and Cello Fortress, are really insanely crazy games. Um, and, uh, and and I'm influenced mostly by artists who do that as well, not necessarily game creators. Uh, like I'd say, I'd say my biggest influence might be David Bowie, uh, who kind of reinvented himself every two or three albums and went through a lot of different styles, some of them very extreme, like he has a couple of albums, so halfway through the album, he just cuts to instrumental ambient music. Um, and it's great. Uh, I love almost all of it, but it's also just the, the boldness of it is something that I, that I admire a lot. Uh, you also see that someone like uh, Picasso, who went through a, a whole bunch of different styles throughout his life. And something that also inspires me there is that what he did first was very classical painting, and he was amazing at that. So he's like, Picasso was a master of anatomy and things like that. And then Okay, now I can do that. Whoop. Now I'm going to make crazy, um, crazy cubist art. And you won't be able to tell whether I even know anatomy or not. And and that that combination of having re- having the skills to do whatever you want, and then and then using that to do whatever you want, and that kind of freedom that's something that inspires me. Uh, that inspires me a lot. You can find that in in arts everywhere, uh, and, and those are the artists that inspire me. Fantastic answer, and you're right. Next question. What video game developer do you most admire and why? Uh, I'd say that um, that it'd be either Peter, Peter Moulineau or Will Wright, uh, both for the same reason, and that's that they also uh, did the kind of thing that I just described, where they went through a bunch of different things and made very bold, extreme designs. Uh, like um, Will Wright, he invented SimCity. 
which is of course super influential and like the godfather of the genre that we're that we develop in. But he also made The Sims, which may in terms of name sound similar, but it's a very different game and it's a very radical game for the time. Uh, but also an amazing combination of being radically new, but also have huge a uh, huge appeal to the audience. It's not a weird game, but it was very innovative for the time. And then he made Spore, which is a very different direction again and a very bold and crazy idea. Um, and uh, Peter Moulineux similarly went through a bunch of different things where he tried very different things, uh, like uh, Dungeon Keeper and Team Hospital, where it was what I grew up with. Later he made Black and White, which is an AI-based uh, creature taming management game. Uh, the, the movies where he figured, oh, well, well, maybe we should have a complete movie editor in the game as part of the game. Uh, that, that kind of boldness inspires me a lot. Uh, I saw a talk by Peter Moulineux uh, around the time of Fable 2, uh, before launch, he did a talk at GDC where he said, okay, in this game, we are going to make you feel an emotion that you've never felt in the game. We're going to make you feel love. And and, and then during the, and then everyone, everyone was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then during the talk, he was showing Fable 2 and he had the dog. And uh, that, was, that was like one of the key selling points of that game. Uh, and... And uh, there was the announcement of the dog, that talk, and he, and he was showing the dog, like, oh, you have this dog, you can do stuff with him, and blah, 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 blah. And just a, de- just a demo, like you do demos. And then at some point, he was like, oh, the dog got hurt by this fight. Well, whatever, I'm walking on, I'm leaving him behind. And he just ran away, and the dog was, like, whimpering, and, like, going, oh, I want to be with my boss. And, like, you could feel the emotion in the entire audience. Like, everyone really felt that, uh, well, a, a very basic version of love for that dog. and felt very sad for that dog. And so he starts with this crazy, crazy thing where everyone is like, yeah, whatever. And then he pulls it off. And then okay, in the end, the game launches. And, and, and Peter Moulinet is, is known for like promising more than he brings. Uh, so, so he's got a lot of hatred for that over the years. But uh, to me, it's like, well, he promised so much that if he delivered half, then it's still absolutely amazing. And he didn't deliver half. Like Fable 2 is kind of a classic. Um, and, and I feel that's for a lot of a lot of his products. Like, okay, maybe he promised too much, but he did bring a lot. Um, I do have to say that both Wright and Moulineux, the, the most recent thing I've heard from them was NFT, and I'm an absolute hater. I absolutely hate anything crypto. So um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm still a fan of what they do now, but like their their career and the things that they've done, it's absolutely amazing, and they're very inspiring to me. Their legacy, indeed. But uh, yes latching on to a thing which people actually no longer really want to have anything to do with. It's a bit of an odd decision to make. Well, I, I guess from their from their perspective, they, they latched on early. Uh, yeah. and, and to be honest, it's been a while since I heard anything about them, so I don't even know whether they're still doing NFTs. Mm. Um, and it does fit like if for both of them, their thing is that they were always the first. Whenever, when there was something new, they would, they would do something exciting with it. So this was the new thing. So I, I imagine yeah. it makes sense for them within their career. But for me, it's like, well, I didn't like it then either. So <laughs> Next and final question of the first half. What are you playing right now? <laughs> um, well, I am living a little bit in a bubble because I have two small kids and, uh, and a company to run. So to be honest, I haven't played much of late. Uh, um, uh, now that the game is out, I'm uh, soon taking a vacation specifically so that I can finally play Cyberpunk. Um, so I'm looking forward to that one a lot. Uh, I have been playing a little bit. Recently, I've played Underground Blossom, which is a game in the Rusty Lake series, point and click adventure that recently launched. And I uh, yesterday started on Dordogne, uh, which is a 
very pretty watercolor uh, water paint game uh, that also recently launched. Uh, and it's a, a, a favorite of mine from the last couple of years, since I haven't played that much in the last year. <laughs> it's uh, Stacklands, uh, which is made by, uh, by friends of mine right here in Utrecht. Uh, and it's a very interesting uh, combination of, of card-based game and a, and a village builder and some combats. It's a, it's a pretty crazy game. Very inspiring. I'm going to have to check that out. It sounds fantastic. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, tabletop board games as well. So hearing that kind of merge crossover is quite nice. They, they do the one thing your, your tabletop board game can't do. Um, in their game, if you lay down a card and it's a cow or it's a bunny, then the card actually hops over the over the screen and it pushes away your other cards. So you're constantly like, no cow, go away. I made a nice stack here. Don't push my stack away. So you have these cards hopping over. Like the, the rabbit even poops. So you have a card that hops over your through your town and drops poop cards. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely going to check this one out. So that's the end of the first half. Let's move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep. Station to station. question more like a request so the audience can have some idea about what you and i are talking about Yost. what is station to station it's a game it is a, a game yeah <laughs> it's a, a minimalist management game in which uh, every level you start with a uh, gray le- gray little landscape and then uh, there are some industries there, some cities there, but it's all quiet, nothing happening much. And then as you lay railroad tracks and you add trains, you bring it all to life, you connect things to each other, and then it all becomes nice and colorful and green. And uh, yeah, and then you finish it and you have this nice, beautiful little diorama that you've created. And then you go on to the next one. So it's it's a minimalist management game in which you build railroads. It is. It is. I think one of the interesting aspects is the sites between which the railroads are constructed are predefined. You don't know where they're going to be, but they start off with a map of a size. There is, but it's difficult, like, pretty much typical size. And then there are features in it, cliffs or valleys. 
that exist in this realm. And you have to then link all these little sites that litter the place with a train line of some description, which has two sort of exits and entrances or lines emitting from it from stations. So the stations act as hubs, not always, but typically. (laughs) Delicately not going into too much content because I don't want to spoil anything, but it starts off with stations and then you actually have interconnections and what have you. So that's really the, the, the aim is to create a network of stations linking various things together. Now, my first design question. As we've already stated, station to station is a city builder in a manner of seeking, but it's more of a puzzle game in that. It's a spatial puzzle game. As we said, we have we have these areas and the linking each state each location. But the locations, everyone, are dependent on each other. When it begins, you start off with farms and you then have a farm then delivering wheat to a mill and the mill produces flour for a baker and the baker produces bread for a city and what have you. So it's all, you know, linked. Cause and effect, so to speak. Supply and demand, almost. But I have to ask the question, what elements, what parts, where does the line, if there is indeed a line, there might not be, where does the city builder begin and the puzzle game end? You know, it's just like, what... What influenced what in terms of the creation of station to station? Well, I'd say that it started out as a, from the city builder genre, from the from games like Transport Tycoon, a railway tycoon, a railroad tycoon, railway empire, that kind of stuff. Um, I really view it as a minimalist version of those games, like it's minimalist railroad tycoon. Um, and I think if um, if you look at a management game, then all management games on a very abstract level can be viewed as puzzle games. There's a You're trying to optimize something. It's an optimization puzzle. And the, the key thing with, with the bigger management games that we were inspired by is that the puzzle is so complex that you can't really treat it as a puzzle anymore because you can't find the optimal solution. There is an optimal, optimal solution, but you can't see it. So you just need to use your intuition, try things, tweak things over time. Um, but, but that puzzle is always underneath it. And if you simplify that kind of game, then at some point the uh, the optimal solution does become visible. So I feel that if you simplify any management game far enough, at some point it becomes a puzzle game, or, or maybe I should say it reveals the puzzle game underneath. And since Station to Station is a minimalist version of those games, it kind of automatically becomes something that can be viewed as a puzzle game. But we didn't design it with the puzzle game in mind. We designed it from the perspective of this is a management game and we removed a lot of stuff to keep the most fun stuff, like the most fun part of Railroad Tycoon is building railroads and Station to Station has a lot of building railroads and no looking at spreadsheets to see your finances, which is another thing that a lot of management games have. So I kind of uh, simplified to keep the most fun part and, and that's very much what I, how I look at the game. Uh, even though you're absolutely right, that and I, f- I realize fully well that 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 kind of makes it a puzzle game. And you're right. Best players of city builders know that ultimately there's a puzzle there. It's just finding it and discovering it, and what bits work with other bits, which then create 
an effect that you desire or not, as the case may be. Yeah, and it's this... yeah as, a, as, a, as a player, uh, I, I play a lot of management games, and one thing that I really enjoy in them is at some point figuring out what's the real puzzle here. Like, like uh, each of these games has a... Has a uh, a few hours of getting to know the game and learning the basics and just having fun creating tracks or building houses or whatever. And then at some point you get to uh, to this uh, higher level where you understand the basics and where, where you get to, okay, now where's the real challenge in here? And and I enjoy finding the challenge and thinking about it a lot. Like I play City Skylines and City Skylines to me is in the end a uh, infrastructure puzzle. It's all about at some at, uh, road congestion. That's to me the biggest challenge in City Skylines. If you play a game like Banish or Frostpunk, those are uh, well, Banish especially. That's in the end the game about which which people from your village work where. You're constantly reallocating pe- fig- uh, people to different buildings uh, based on the time of year, based on what you need. So that's the puzzle there. And a railway empire, to my surprise, actually, uh, the more advanced puzzle there is how do I make a city big? Uh, because there's a limited amount of connections that you can make in a city. You can only have two stations per city in Railway Empire. And uh, and it's hard to get a uh, like a city to get really big. It needs a lot of different resources from a lot of different places. And the puzzle of getting enough resources there to get the city beyond a certain level is super hard in that game. But it's also a puzzle that you don't really notice it during the first five to ten hours of that game. So that's that's something that I personally really enjoy in those games, finding that learning that. It's a very designed kind of way of enjoying a game, I guess. <laughs> Peeling away the layers, and as you see, oh, yeah, now yeah. I get it. Or to refer to the Matrix, seeing the code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Find yeah. out that life is actually a simulation, and re- in reality, we're all a training will way empire. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we'd best not delve into hard solipsism at this point and move on to the next design question, which is the need to create ever more complex networks in station to station is actually an award. You're rewarded for doing that. The player is encouraged to make seemingly, and indeed the conceit is declared to the player, like try not to think about logic and do this illogically. And you're actually rewarded for doing that, for actually making complexity almost for complexity's sake making reliance on systems and chains which are inherently lack redundancy. They don't have any redundancy to them. If there's any break in that chain, the thing starts to collapse. Yet, station to station says, no, go for it. Just ignore the need for redundancy. You don't need any any of that. This is not an actual chain simulation. Get over yourself. Let's see what happens when you create a chain which then at which point you then feed, I mean, it's such a wonderful reward when you trigger it, and all of a sudden the whole screen almost explodes with resources flying across the screen and a bunch of coins go flushing across, and you get a massive bonus for actually delivering something in a combination, delivering that combination just at the right moment. Why? Yeah, because it's fun. <laughs> uh, when I started working on station to station, uh, at first it was just uh, there was just me. By the way, uh, I the, in the end the game is made by a team of eight people. Uh, but during the first four months, it was just me, and this is about early stage design decisions. So back then, uh, just me uh, and CI. Um, uh, one thing I do is that I always uh, make a playable as quickly as possible and start playtesting that in the very, very early stage. Game is barely playable, but I'm already throwing it at people, seeing how they play. Uh, in this case, for example, I had the people from Abbey Games uh, playtest in a very early stage, the folks from Reus, 
because they are just uh, just around the corner uh, around the corner actually and the friends of mine um anyway point is uh, i started out not with this in mind specifically and i started out with a version of the game that had uh, direct connections between buildings only but playtesters quickly told me that they didn't like that they wanted to have indirect connections as well like in the real world you can have a train that travels through a station to another station or that picks up stuff at a station that a different train dropped there. So they didn't want all those direct connections and they wanted indirect connections as well. And when I made that, I quickly realized that, or I quickly just experienced, that, that you can make combos. Uh, if you connect a mill to a bakery while the mill is not receiving wheat yet, then nothing happens because it's not producing flour. So there's no flour going to the bakery. Uh, now, if you connect a farm to the mill then, uh, then, okay, mill receives the wheat, produces flour, flour goes to the bakery. So you've made one connection and it produced two connections. And there was a lot of fun to make. And it makes no particular sense that it works like that because in the real world, uh, goods don't instantly all transport, but hey, that's the concept of the game. Uh, well, it was just very fun and rewarding to do. And I already had this concept of cards and I had a card that gave you extra, uh, gave you double points or 50% more points on the connection. And keeping that card around for just that moment when you're making a combo was just super fun and super rewarding. And whatever I was playing was the only thing I was doing, was planning for these combos. So because it just happened to be a lot of fun, I realized, okay, then that's in the game because it's fun. <laughs> Indeed it is. It. No, you stumbled upon it, which is the wonderful part of game design. There's emergent game design as well as gameplay, everyone. Who knew? Who yeah, knew? yeah. And uh, to me as a designer, like... Um, these days, I work from the idea that I want to start off with a strong concept, so something that defines the game, like in this case, um, minimalist railroad building. That was the, the core idea. But within that, there are so many different opportunities and directions that you can go. So then you start just prototyping and experimenting, trying to figure out where's the fun within this idea. And, and, and if the idea is both specific enough and wide enough that you can really search for it, then you can find, uh, find the cool stuff. And once I realize what the fun is, then I do double down on it. So in this case, okay, making these combos is fun. And uh, at first, it only happens with a card. And uh, okay, but this is so much fun. I want to be able to do it all the time. And the card is just a booster on top of a combo. And oh, but this is so much fun. I'm going to put a lot of effort into making this as rewarding as possible with the coins flying and with the sound design and with the, the landscape turning green as buildings are activated. Uh, with adaptive music that picks up pace depending on when you do that, if you make a big combo, you even get like an angelic choir, like, ah, that becomes a part of your music. Uh, and so, so we really doubled down on it and tried to make that emotion of just yeah, that, that as strong as possible, as rewarding as possible. Yeah, yeah. Up there with the World of Warcraft leveling up. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing, yeah. The animation <laughs> for that was like, all right, all right. No, 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 this is a big deal. I'm only leading level four. Doesn't matter. Go for it. Anyway, <laughs> the cards. There are cards, everyone, in Station to Station. Uh, but they're quite – they're not as prominent. They're not – you don't have to play them for a start. You can go through without. be a bit strange, but you can play uh, a, a level without actually ever playing one. But they are modifiers. They change the rules. They maybe reduce the cost of a track or allow you to build bridges cheaply. They're the most basic early ones. There are others, everyone, but I'm not going to go into detail. I'll let you discover that for yourself. But I want to ask, how did you, how were they always there? And also talk us through their design and how you developed them. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of aspects to this. 
one is that, okay, I wanted to make a minimalist version of Railroad Tycoon. Uh, and when I had that, the game was a bit too simple and uninteresting. And I was thinking, okay, how can I add more juice to this? How could I make this more interesting? And, well, the obvious way to do that would have been to add a real economic simulation to it, because that's what all the other all those other management games do. But that felt like, okay, but as soon as I do that, it's not a minimalist railroad, railroad tycoon anymore. It's just railroad tycoon. So I didn't want to go that way. So I needed something else to spice it up and add more variation to it, something that... And a nice, a nice aspect of cards is that they force you to change your tactics based on whatever cards you happen to have. So this idea of, oh, I know the best solution and I'm just going to repeat that until the end of the game. Not going to work because the best solution changes based on your cards. Um, so that's one design reason to want to have them there. Uh, another reason they are there is that I also imagined this game as, uh, oh, it's Islanders, but it's about trains instead of about houses. Uh, Islanders is also a minimalist management game and it was a big inspiration for this game. Uh, it doesn't have feature trains, you're just building cities. And in Islanders, if you've built a bunch of houses and you've gathered enough points, uh, you get a bunch of new houses. And, and which ones you get is random, uh, serves the same purpose as the cards. Uh, and I quite liked this idea of progressing by, okay, use what you have, get points, and then you get some new stuff, and it has randomness to it. But in my case, well, it didn't make much sense to have 20 different houses that you get random instances of. So I came up with this cards idea instead. Well, one thing I find very interesting in cards as well is that they can hide a lot of comple- the complexity in a game. If you look at a game like Magic, which is one of the most complex games ever ever created, I think, but uh, the vast majority of the complexity in Magic is uh, in the cards themselves. If you take away the logic that's in, that's written down on the cards, then it's still a complex game, but then it's quite doable. But then there's all these cards and they all add specific things. But the nice thing is that you only need to worry about the cards that are in play. Uh, A very important goal to me with Station to Station is that I wanted the game to be very easy to get into. I didn't want hours of tutorial. I wanted players to immediately be able to play it. And that means that if I hide some of the complexity within specific cards, then by simply not giving those cards to the player yet, they get a very simple game. And then later on, I give them some cards that, uh, that... that just, okay, something can be here and you could choose what it is. The mental complexity of the game at that point nearly doubles. It's, it makes it much more complex in terms of how many options you have. But the card doesn't exist at first. So you've already been playing for a few hours before this complexity is added. And um, that's, a, that's a great power to have as a designer. That there's a, I don't need to gray out a button in the interface like some games do. I don't need to explicitly tell a player, here's a mechanic that I'm going to explain to you. I can just... It doesn't exist yet, but it will exist. And then uh, one final aspect of the cards that I like a lot is that uh, in the case of Station to Station, well, it's not a competitive multiplayer game. It doesn't need to be balanced in the sense that a competitive multiplayer game needs to be. And that means that we can put weird stuff in the cards and we can put it in even if it's not balanceable. So some of the cards are much more powerful than other cards, but we balance that by just not giving you that many or by not giving giving them at all on some levels. And some of the cards don't combine well, like they're way too powerful together or they're very useful, useless together. Um, and it's okay, we just don't give you both at the same time. So it gives us a lot of flexibility to add variation to the campaign, where in every level you make a different combination of cards, and that allows us to kind of reshuffle the mechanics. Now, all the mechanics together doesn't work. If you put all the mechanics to station to station in one level, it's not fun. And, and it has all kinds of problems, but you never get that. And we can give you different combination every level. And that, that allows us to add a lot of variation throughout the campaign, 
uh, to the game without needing to introduce very complex stuff all the time because people just read the card pool tip. For me, you've just described a streamlining example of how you can solve MOBAs, especially Dota. When you're confronted with that shop front and go, you can buy all these things. Which one? I don't know. Whatever works for you. How do I know that? I don't know. Good question. <laughs> That's actually a problem that we were solving with Awesome Knots as well. Uh, awesome Knots is a, I don't know whether you know it, but it's a platforming MOBA game, uh, like League of Legends combined with Super Smash Bros. Uh, at the time, League of Legends wasn't out there yet. Uh, we started when only Dota was there, which is also the inspiration for League of Legends. And our goal was to make a streamlined version of Dota. So we wanted all the depth and exciting stuff of Dota, but we wanted to remove, remove a lot of the complexities and impractical stuff that we felt wasn't adding that much to the experience, to us at least. And one of those things is that in Dota and in League of Legends, there's these stores and they have so many items. But the thing is, you can buy all of them. You can use all of them. But 90% is a very poor choice for your character. And you should just look that up online or you should know by playing 100 hours. But as a new player, why is there a store where 90% of the items is bad for my character? Why is the game offering me that at all? Is that interesting to learn? It's not really interesting to learn to me. So with Awesome Nuts, uh, all the items are custom made per character so that you know that, okay, every item here is useful to me. And there's not that many here. There's only the useful ones. So that, that idea of streamlining things, it's something that's been in my career for a very long time. And it was a core thing at, at Ronimo as well. Well, not specifically, specifically because of me, because we're a seven-people team, but there was a design philosophy at the company. Fantastic. Yeah. Respect players' time, please. That's what I ask. <laughs> yeah, and, at the same time, um, I do feel that there's, uh, in, in design and creativity in general, there's just so many different tastes, and some people just like certain types of things. There's a type of player who just enjoys being taken very seriously and being like, hey, here's 100 things, and it's too complex. But you'll be able to figure it out because you're a clever player. And, and people get a lot of satisfaction out of that. So I realized that by removing all of those things, there's a lot of people who don't like it anymore because they wanted that complexity. Uh, so I'm not saying that that kind of complexity is wrong. Just saying that, that we were trying to make a game for people who uh, don't want to start off with hours of tutorial or hours of trying to figure out how all of these things work. So last question. I have to ask about Station to Station because the first thing that grabbed me Shallow as it may seem, I don't think it's shallow at all, but the visual styling is extremely engaging. It's exquisite. The soft focus, the foreground focus, brilliantly done. You could have overdone it, but you didn't. It's just just right. I'm sure you played around a lot of it. But um, I have to say, when I'm playing Station to Station, my view is very zoomed out. It's quite far away. And I only start zooming down when I'm trying to position something or trying to see something working you know, spatially. But I have to ask, why did you adopt this kind of visual styling when eventually the player is only looking at it from afar and they only see this level of detail if they choose to? But functionally, it could have been just a 2D plane or something. I know you, that <laughs> sounds horrific, but um, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't detract from your efforts of your artists and your graphic designers, an amazing job. But it's just amazing. It's slow. You can actually listen to everyone. This you can really zoom into detail and see little birds and little dog and cows. You don't interact with them typically, but they're there. Why? Why did you go to this level of detail with station? Station. Well, uh, there's two reasons for that. One is that well, there's very different types of players. 
Uh, and um, I've indeed observed that some players hardly ever zoom in and they, for them, it's kind of a wasted effort in a sense. They occasionally see it and then they'll probably like, well, that's pretty. I'm never going to look at that again. Uh, and that's fine. That's the more, um, uh, that, that's one type of player. Uh, but there's also a lot of players who'd like to just zoom in and have a look and, and just be very relaxing. Like some players build a train and then they zoom in and they look at the train for a minute and then they zoom out and they build the next thing. So uh, it's, it's uh, to a certain type of player, it's much more important than it is to you. And um, that's, that's something that you also see in our design in general, that the core of the game is uh, very two, in two directions in terms of difficulty. The core game is is deliberately very easy and relaxed and and you can even turn off money if you like and still finish the entire game so if you don't just want a very chill experience just want to look around a bit um then that's there uh but if you want a more uh a bigger challenge then there's the star challenge and the uh and the fund challenge that you find in every level and there we try to put a lot of challenge and complexity in it and that's optional and we deliberately make that very optional Uh, and that was also something that um like I played Dorf Romantique, which is a game that has an excellent atmosphere, very successful game as well. But to me as a player, it was like an excellent 30 minutes and then it was done. Uh, because I, I kind of need that extra challenge layer and in Dorf Romantique, that's very uh, shallow. And, and that's fine. It's ex- It works extremely well for a large audience. But uh, my goal here was that I wanted to have that very relaxing Dorf Romantique vibe but at the same time, add the kind of challenge that I want as a player, but keep it optional. And um, uh, so th- that's that's one reason why the art, uh, okay, may- maybe it's very important to you, but it's to a different type of player. Uh, another aspect is that um, in any management game, there's always some downtime. Usually it's waiting for your money to flow in, but it also might also be the downtime of I'm just thinking about things for a bit or I need a bit of a relaxation moment before I dive into the next puzzle. And, and you need something there. And in case of a game like Settlers, but also in case of our game, that layer is, well, you zoom in and you just enjoy the graphics for a bit. And there's all these little animations going on, and like the cheese factory. You can see that it's actually churning the cheese and the cheese is going around it and stuff like that. Um, so there's a lot to look at. And that's kind of your break. Um, if you've ever played Team Hospital, uh, there, um, uh, there the thing that you do for, to take a break is partially shoot rats. Like rats go around, and if you cl- if you're quick enough, and you click them, then they they die violently, and that's good for your hospital. But it's also a time killer. It's not just a rat killer, but also a time killer. Uh, so that's also something I feel any management game needs in some form. And then um, final reason, and I said two, but it's actually number three. Uh, and in reality, I'm going to give you 200 reasons that this will, this interview will take two tomorrow. Good luck. Um, <laughs> Now, and the, the most important reason is that uh, the, the game market ex- at the moment is extreme, <laughs> extremely challenging, heavily oversaturated, way too many games launching for the number of players that there are. So the vast majority of games sell extremely poorly. Uh, so I feel that during development of the game from day one, you need to think about how will this be marketed? How will this appeal to players? Uh, why will they like this? And... For a management game, that's a challenge because the zoomed out view of a management game is rarely very engaging. At best, it's it looks okay, kind of. There's very few management games that look amazing when zoomed out. So I felt that from the start, if we wanted to do good marketing, we needed to be able to make very pretty shots somehow because we need to appeal to players within five seconds. And then after five seconds, if they're not interested, they won't watch the rest of the trailer. So it was also a very deliberate marketing choice that I felt that we needed to be able to have these 
very pretty zoom-in shots, and every trailer opens with that, so that you immediately captivate the viewer. Uh, and then from there, we can introduce what the actual gameplay is. So it is also a business marketing choice to have very pretty zoomed-in shots. And one that few management games make, I mentioned Islanders, a dwarf romantic. You can't even zoom into the level that we can zoom into in those games. And uh, and I hope that that helped, uh, well, I hope I already know that that helped us sell the game uh, in this very competitive market. It certainly worked for me. Uh, it was very eye-catching. I was going to say it. Um, you may think it's shallow, but I don't think it is. It does add. You're right. Sometimes you get downtime. You just gotta. I need to ponder what I'm gonna do next because this might be some really complex. As we mentioned earlier, you're rewarded for complexity. You're trying to optimize the best placement and link because if you get it wrong, you could lose a lot of money or a lot of points or what have you, and you don't want to do that. So to to basically stroke one's chin while staring at a pig. So station to station. It's been developed by uh, Galaxy Grove. It's a wonderful name. For a developer, where did, where did that come from? Well, I wanted some kind of combination of nature and science fiction. So I was just combining words uh, and until I found something I liked. And at some point I had a galactic greenhouse. And I, I uh, liked that. And then I asked some people and they told me, uh, oh, that sounds like a, a company that sells electricity. Uh, for some reason, that's the thing people thought of. Uh, so I thought, okay, we're not selling electricity. Maybe not choose that one. And in the end, we had, I ended up at Galaxy Grove. <laughs> you can technically have a grove of galaxies if you think about it. A clutch of them. yeah, or a or a grove like a, a grove where a galaxy grows. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the universe is very, very, very big, but don't we actually know how big it is, or do we? I can't remember. It, things change. <laughs> um, but it's about uh, seven big. It's yeah, it's about seven big. Um, but what platforms is Station to Station available on? Uh, on Windows, it's available on the Steam Store and on the Humble Store. Well, yes, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Really, it's been very open and honest about the creation of Station to Station, and it is an extraordinary game. And, well, thank you, and thanks for having me. Yeah, and you're more than welcome to come back, if you wish, to talk about what's next cooking in your brains. But uh, in the meantime, thank you very much. Have a great day, and I'd love to. Well, it was a lovely chat, wasn't it? Quite interesting the point when uh, Yao started talking about the reason for making Station to Station look the way it looks. It's a marketing ploy. Who knew? Rather than a functional one, it's to draw people in. And it worked for me. So, yeah, there it is. Anyway... Next week, we've got a very different game. Oh boy, thematically and genre. It's a bullet heaven game, as they call them, which is actually based on card play. So there's a little bit of similarity on reflection between uh, Heretic's Fork, which is the game we're focusing on next week, and Station to Station. I uh, talked to a chap called Stevis Andrea, who's the sole developer of... Heretics Fork, and yes, this is a game I discovered yet at yet another show. Really, Chris, another one? Yes, this is uh, WASD or WASD, whatever you want to pronounce it. In London, it occurred in September, and had a great time playing games. There's lots, a lot of really, really entertaining fun games. It's not the first title that's going to be featured from that show, but uh, yeah, looking forward to sharing that with you. But um, yeah, you have to wait a week for that. Anyway, let's listen to me. Talking about, you know, signing off 
Bye, everyone. See you next week. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, caneandrinse.com.